Hello and welcome to St. Paul Filmcast. My name's John Edel. I'm an actor for 20 years plus in the Twin Cities, and I'm your guest host today. It's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Nick Palatichuk, <laughs> who is usually the host of this very show. Uh, basically because Nick's been such an avid supporter of the creative community here in the Twin Cities, uh, and certain people may not realize it, but Nick has his own uh, interesting creative endeavors. I thought it'd be fun to turn the tables, so to speak, and, and visit with a little bit uh, with Nick. So, Nick, welcome to St. Paul Filmcast. <laughs> it's nice, yeah. It's <laughs> the same it, chair, but we're going to do Yeah, that. how's it, it feel to be on the other side of the... <laughs> it feels kind of weird, right? Yeah. You know, almost because you're like, oh, I want to do it this way, but we're going to definitely do it on your side. Yeah. So this is going to be fun. I like the other end, yeah, the other side of the coin. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Well, so let's get started here right. with uh, learning a little bit about yourself. Uh, let's get started with your own personal backstory, so to speak. Uh, sure. Uh, Nick, where'd you grow up? Um, actually, not too far from where we were recording. Um, I was born in Colorado, but then my family moved here in South St. Paul, just a few, probably, a, probably about a half a mile where we record. Oh, wow. And um, when we grew up, and I think I talked about with other guests, when we grew up, we didn't have a lot. Um, obviously, it was we were, we were poor, but we weren't. Impoverished. I mean, I really had things, a nice bed to lay on and stuff. But my family was pretty young. My parents were really young where they had me. So they're just starting out. And uh, we lived in a little single apartment, hmm. one-bedroom apartment. And I had the bedroom, and my parents pretty much lived in the living room. And uh, my whole world was out that apartment window. I got to see people interact. I felt like I was looking down on people at the apartment as I watched life going on and the kids playing and everything because hmm. I didn't have a TV and that was kind of my entertainment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your imagination got to get developed at a pretty early age then. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you when you, you can see people when you're watching it from a high point of view, how they don't know you're watching and then you can see them in like a natural state. It's almost like watching a movie and I think that's another reason why because we didn't have a TV and my parents would go the movies as entertainment they went frequently a lot they brought hmm. me with because i was like i was i was not a, i was a nice kid i was polite they told me you know at a young age just be quiet and i'll sit in the chair and i'll be quiet <laughs> which was easy and we go to see movies quite a bit because you know it was if it's hot out we didn't have air conditioning so you go see the movie and if you're bored or not you know you go see a movie you know mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it became part of who i am right away wow yeah yeah Interesting. You have brothers, sisters, both? I do have a younger sister, yes. Okay. Um, and she is, I don't have children of myself, and she's the one that has a whole host of family. She has, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, so it's a big family over there that's nice that I have, because I don't have kids myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, so your family, you mentioned you grew up uh, in a fairly... Uh, I guess poor circumstances, like you said, in that regard. But did you ever take any kind of vacations or any trips or anything that stuck in your memory? Maybe you took one trip that really sparked you. Well, we didn't. And not until later we were able to travel a little bit. And I think that's what gravitated to me to movies because I saw the whole different worlds when I came because we didn't travel very much. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the opportunities to do so. And then we go to movies, you see this fantastic other things. And I think that's what is so appealing. It's so much fun because it's just not mundane at all. Mm -hmm. When you go see a movie, it's of course it's not going to be mundane. It's not you know just doing ordinary things. And I think that's really reveled in my creativity also, this fascinating that things can be far more interesting than what you have out, out in your world as well itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
So did you start reading comic books and collecting comic books at a very young age, or was that something that you picked up a little farther down the line after you developed your pretty solid interest in movies and film? Or um, It was a weird circumstance because when I grew up, there was no comic book store. You And I think you kind of remember there was no really comic book store. You went to the drugstore, and then they had the magazine rack, and then they had the rack of... The little huh? rack that would turn on the... Rotate, rotate. right, yeah. yes. And you had to go there or buy them or you never they're gone and then you never get a reprint or never or anything like there was no store to do that so you ran and got your comic book right away and it was at the drugstore the corner drugstore and my mom got me one before i could read and i think it was like three or four and she got me a batman comic book she said pick one out i remember this pick one out and i saw a batman comic book i can't as a kid you kind of it's always on your radar this batman character i mean everybody knows the cartoons i know they existed i never watched them but there was this dynamic that was divorced from the childlike play of comic Batman that it was far more serious, far more dramatic that just pulled me in. That was so appealing and I still have it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, yeah. you do, you still have that. I still have it, right, it. yeah, it's still pristine, I still have it it's, uh, from 1983. I have to look up which one it is, but yeah, and from there I think it was just memorized because it looked like a movie on paper. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's, well, I have like a movie in my hands almost. Yeah. Yeah. So you say, yeah, that's in pristine, pristine condition. So from the start, you knew it was something that was really important to you that you really appreciated. Yeah. I very much regarded it as very delicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what led to other things because I, I was a kid. I want to go to another comic book, another Batman one. And they were all out. I was like, oh, I want one so bad. Mm-hmm. And that's how I discovered Daredevil because, okay, I'll find the next best thing. And Daredevil was something like Batman. It was very dark, very much behaving the mannerisms of Bat. Daredevil isn't his name. Bat, you know, he's he looks like a bad guy, but does bad. I think the parallels run a little similar, and that's why I always appreciate that kind of superhero as well, too. Hmm. So interesting, yeah. So uh, I believe from my research, I understand that you studied film and film history in college. Yep. Um, where did you go to school, and did you major or a minor in any related arts type theater, film, anything? I went to the UM, okay. and then I uh, pursued liberal uh, fine arts at uh, the University of Minnesota. Okay. And a branch from that, I, created, I academically studied film, art and film, film history, which is at the time when I went was a year and a half long dedication commitment. And it was a, I mean, you watch movies and they spit it out like it's homework. But for me, it wasn't homework because, like, I get to watch movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess if, if something is not, you don't regard it as homework, you love to do it. So, yeah, that was taking art history, art home. And that was probably like the late 90s. And on top of that, I was working at the video store. So I was getting a double dose of different varieties of culture of movies, this academic appreciation, mm-hmm. as well as the mass consumer people who are not really interested in the academic point of view, but just, hey, it's a really good movie. You know, it's really, I like that, yeah. So I got bombarded by two different things at the same time at that People point. come in and ask you know, for recommendations, so you probably did a certain amount of research, it sounds like, on what was on the shelf and yeah, for rentals. And- yeah, because movies, and I think it's still now regarded, new movies come out Tuesday. And at the time when the video store, you got them, they, the delivery came Monday hmm. and you got a demo tape. So they encourage you to watch the movie before hmm. you put it on the shelf because if people asked you 
or sometimes you get a month in advance if it's like something that's straight to rental you might get a month in advance here this movie's coming up to talk about to your customers so you had the horrible duty of watching every movie that came out. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> it sounds painful. Yeah. Well, I learned a shortcut, and it's kind of it's, it's a shortcut because sometimes you get you get to watch so much, but a 90-minute 90, 90 film, you could probably get away with, and this is kind of a, a cheat, but you can get away with watching the first 20 minutes and watching the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And really much the middle is just a car chase or yeah. a sex scene or something or the big explosion. Yeah, you probably still pick up the arc of the story in the second 20 minutes, you know, the biggest, you know, the epilogue to everything that's going to come together. And yeah. there's some filler, so to speak, sometimes in the middle. But, uh, yeah. And it, 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 if you want to use it as a, like a film, like a study, go back to a movie that you really appreciate it. And if you really watch it a lot, watch the first 20 and the last 20. And usually the people, the characters that you see the first 20 minutes will return to the last 20 hmm. minutes. They, sometimes they come go away, but they sometimes come back. And it's a writing trope that I discovered also because a lot of people like, well, if you have a bunch of movies to watch, just do that and skip the middle. But then there's clever people like Tarantino put very valid points in the middle. So you cannot do that. Um, that definitely in Pulp Fiction you can't do that right <laughs> yes so I think the the creative filmmakers caught on to that probably in the 90s that this formula is being used and being cheated and let's let's break it up let's break the rules and make them watch it from beginning to end mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah interesting good point so uh, in the world of comic books you know there's so many genres everything from superhero to alternative esoteric you know science fiction it goes on and on yeah it does yeah. you uh as a as a writer and an illustrator uh the greenway book series mm-hmm. that you have out now you gravitated towards noir how did yeah. that happen what was was that did you want to write a story in a, in a noir vein, or did you feel the story was what you wanted to tell, and you felt that the best path to go down was? Noir? I I I love this question because I regard it as almost a narrative of some of a person having a great pitch idea and going to HBO, almost like like the when the TV show Rome came out, and you're sitting in the waiting room going, "I got a great pitch about these two Cesare, you know, this plea, you know, the." these two soldiers in Rome time, but the guy already had me, he's doing it. And then at the time when I came up with the Greenway, nobody was doing like crime graphic novels, which they used to be in the old days and thirties, like pulp comics, you know, the pulpy, even pulp texts. Like, and I thought what a great inventive way because nobody's doing it, bring back the crime genres in comic books. Hmm. And that was about 08. And I thought I'm going to do it. I know it, Usually comic book fans are not going to gravitate to that, but I think it's something that we can probably, from film, put back into comic books. And it's just almost like a regurgitation. It's constantly, constantly always merged together. Mm-hmm. I was going to want to bring it back, but then um, in '09, I saw that Ed Brubaker was making his series, these noir series called Criminals. And he's very successful at doing it. <laughs> but I thought it was going to be the first original and, and idea. And then one day I go to the comic book store and somebody's already got it. But he's the only one. I think those kind of genres can, can continue on and move on because it's super superheroes is such a saturated in comic books. Yeah. There's hundreds of other things that you could do a comic book on. So, yeah. And I like that idea. I want to do, I didn't want to do a superhero. I love superheroes. 
But I think it's just oversaturated, yeah. in the, especially in the comic books. Like, let's do something else that's not superhero related. And let's do work on the film noir, something that I really do love, a genre I really do appreciate. Yeah, yeah. So, is there a a film noir, an actual film that influenced you that you go back to, maybe for a combination of a little bit of inspiration, just a little bit of enjoyment on how it was made? Um, is there a, a film that you go back to? Um, and if so, tell us a little bit about what that film is and why. There's one film that I think everybody who's in close proximity to me really knows that Maltese Falcon is mm. the epitome of the movie I regard. It's my favorite movie. Some people don't think it's the best film noir. And I think there's some other movies that really epitome what noir is. If you look at Detour, I think that's the pinnacle of what noir is. But for me, as a context of a good story, and a good noir, I think Maltese Falcon is it. I think it's it. I think there's nothing else like it. It's mm-hmm. it's not cheap like pulp comics. The characters are not written as just wooden, what you expect. And there's a certain level of tone that you don't get that you thought it was just be a cheap thriller. Mm-hmm. And I always catch myself like I always catch myself watching it maybe more than I should. Maybe maybe more shouldn't but but now. I still see things then that I always miss or forget that's in there. Hmm. And I think that's a, and Roger Ebert said about a good movie. A good movie means is every time you see it, it seems new. And, I, and that's for me, I think that's, that's, I use that as a staple. It's a good movie because every time you see it, it's always something new in there hmm. or it seems fresh to me. I've seen it twice in theaters. I've read, I've even bought the book and I read the book. Hmm. So I think that's, it's something that it radiates, right? If something's really good, you want to see in all aspects and all medias, and maybe the remake is not what you liked it to be, or the sequel. I think they, they in fact, they did a sequel. I think Robert Altman did a sequel to it. Mm. But it's something that I always go back to. It's maybe too much of a reflex. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Did I haven't? I've never read the book myself, but I've seen the, the, the film a few times. But did the did the screenplay wander? far away from the book or was it pretty true it's actually pretty darn true yeah it's very scary because the first even when he writes it he talks about it in a smoky wooden stale office sam fumbles to light his cigarette and then the movie starts out you just see it hmm. there right there and i think that's another appreciative of a dash hammett with such very few words can provide a full picture which is just a, absolutely appealing to me hmm. Hmm. interesting so tell me a little bit about, and I'm not an expert on comic books, but I, I was struck, one thing yeah. I struck was struck by when I read, and I've read the second book too recently, yeah. the choice uh, to go with, and I worked, I worked for a commercial printer for a short time, so I might not have this terminology correctly in the comic book world, but okay. I would call it like a perfect bound spine rather than like a stapled folded page you know the presentation yeah uh talk a little bit about if they're like what was the choice what the choice for that why did you go that route and the the glossy the heavier stock versus you know those choices well in fact the the two books are broken up because there's going to be three so the whole story there's going to be three books um there's going to be 10 chapters that would be regarded as a comic book by themselves so each book when you buy one is pretty much three comic books in one book okay 
a staple is not going to, you know, you have to do that perfect bounding when you, especially we're going to merge three comic books into one. And the second one is like three comic books in one. And then the third one looks like it's going to be four comic books in okay. one big book. So it's not just one comic book. That's kind of the misnomer. We're kind of packing a lot into the story because it's actually pretty long graphic novel. And we just want people to have it out there to start with, you know, just a little slice to get out there. They usually did that with short stories like Maltese Falcon. They put it into Publishing Weekly as a chapter. <laughs> and then you, you want to buy it and then eventually you could buy the, if you liked it in the publication magazine, you would buy the book if it was successful enough in people, publications. And that's what hmm. we kind of do. It's kind of like sell a little, little bit to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so I'd, I'd say if our audience could see your studio, it'd be fair to say that you're uh, an avid collector as well. <laughs> I still am, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. what uh, what's the crown jewel in this fairly impressive collection we're looking at here? I'd say the, the, uh, the for monetary value, I have some old Spider Mans from the late '60s hmm. that are very regarded. I don't, I appreciate them for the time and area. I'm not a huge Spider Man fan, but for collecting and for people who appreciate the the game of collecting, those are crown jewels. For me, I think it's a good story. I really do. There's a lot of them on my wall that are not really worth the paper they're print on, but they're, they're good stories. Mm. And I think that I use that. I really want to decorate this room is because I think all of us creative needs constant stimulation. This is this is a constant stimulation room that I don't think you could get writer's block if you, if you try to come down here. There's so many different, and I think that's what's nice about comic book covers is it's such, it should be full, right? It should be full. And you put them up here and it provides, it, makes you wonder like well let's think about that let's think about that so hmm. interesting and so when you when you chose to when you wrote this series yeah. um and you chose a, a noir pulp crime story yeah as the genre you wanted that followed a lot of your love of your film experience from your youth it sounds like in addition to the maltese falcon and other other influences from that yeah genre. yeah it definitely it definitely did because um, my dad introduced me to multi falcon and very very early maybe six or seven i watched it my first time i don't remember but i remember my dad says you have to pay attention to everything in the movie mm. look at the clock at the wall look at what people are wearing you might be able to solve it before the movie's done and i remember that challenge and i th- always put that to me every time i go see a movie and from early on, don't just look at what's going on. Look at the entire movie as you're watching it. I think you can get away with some type of TV that just a set direction is not really part of it, but it's nice. I mean, sometimes a set direction in a sitcom is little trinkets and little Easter eggs make it fun. But I think in a movie, you if you can pay attention into a movie, what it is it presenting to you? Um, is far more fascinating. I think every movie is kind of investigation, isn't it? Even mm-hmm. if it's not a murder mystery, there is an invest. You're investigating something. True. Why somebody wants something, and why somebody wants to keep something. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Good point. Definitely. Yeah. So, when you're working on your illustrating or the writing of that narrative of the, or the story, do you find yourself doing this in phases where you'll get hot, so to speak, on wanting to? Do a lot of a lot of drawing, a lot of illustrating, and then you'll shift back over to the writing side. Or do you write the entire story and then go back and build the illustration panels based on on the story being completed, or is it kind of an organic process working yeah. throughout? 
Um, this is my first time writing a script. I usually sometimes just had a little story just to do my as an excuse to do my illustrations. Even though this is a script to excuse excuse, but I really wanted the writing to be good, and I don't wanted it to be cheap. And I wanted it something that people would appreciate the writing by itself as well. Um, obviously, we're working a visual format that everybody wants the visuals too. But I thought the writing should be well. And it took me a long time to make it. That's what I worked hard on is I took about eight years writing this thing. Mm, Um, I started just writing out. I didn't work about outlines. I just wrote out of my mind. And then from there, I crafted what I think was a structured story. So I didn't really work outlines. I knew the kind of ending I wanted. But let's see how we're going to get there. Um, Hot and cold spurts, those are frightening, aren't they? I mean, because you... I mean, you, you feel like something that was too easy. That was why that, how that, and then, or why am I struggling harder with this? So you definitely can trip you up and especially in writing creative processes, mm-hmm. you know, um, damn, that was too easy. It shouldn't have been that easy or that was too difficult. Why is that struggling? Yeah. You find yourself second guessing when it comes that easy. You go, yeah, I'm not going to revisit that. And, and I definitely saw an evolution of characters that initially I thought this is what's going to happen. And then when you're writing out, I thought these were the characters are telling me what's going to happen. There's a little bit of poll that this wasn't me writing it. They were writing it, telling it to me. Mm. And I think for good writing, it's almost like the characters eventually tell you what has to happen rather than you're just forcing it upon it. I like that process of just let it flow. Don't force anything on there. Don't force this character to be a hero. Don't force this character to be the villain. They'll tell you eventually that what's going to happen. Hmm. And I definitely let that do with the book. I definitely let it play that. And I hope you read the story about who really is the bad guy, who really is the good guy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very good yeah. points. Um, so little birdie told me that. Uh, <laughs> they are a little gossipy, aren't they? They are a little yeah. gossipy. They whisper in your ear. Uh, I understand that for quite a period of time you were a registered and licensed football referee. Tell me a little bit about your interest in how you got into that and why you went down that path. Yeah, I think a lot of people that come to the studio on an interview are not aware that I used to officiate. I used to be a registered licensed official here at the state of Minnesota for football. I did other sports too, basketball and softball, but I really liked officiated football. I did it for 20 years. I did it from 1998, and I stopped in 2018. Hmm. Um, It's a simple question of it wasn't fun for him anymore. Hmm. Um, And I would do officiating games. I officiate a lot of games. I think once every, if you think 20 years, and I did about 80 to 70 games a year, I've seen everything. (laughs) I've done every mistake. Um, And I always want to do games, and we do the captain's meet. And I always tell the kids, even high school or below, if you're not having fun, don't be here. I right. want kids who want to have fun. That's how you get hurt. That's how you absolutely get hurt in games is you don't want to be there or you're not paying attention. Hmm. Usually kids are having fun. Never rarely. I mean, obviously there's injuries. You can't avoid that. But really, I think you can get hurt, but just not enjoying it. A really themed, enthusiastic play. And it hurt. And I could see it in myself. I wasn't. I, I saw myself saying, I have to officiate, rather than saying, I get to officiate. I have to go do a game. And then I said, well, that means I don't want to do it. The passion was gone. Yeah. No, no longer. I appreciate, I appreciate the time I did it. I really did. It forced me to be far more disciplined than I want to be. 
and far more rigorous in protocols and policies than I really wanted to be as a creative person. Um, there's definitely a hard discipline to that. Um, it forced me to really be a person that's responsible and really focus on your job. It's for some people, it's a part-time job. It's a full-time commitment all every day, all day, because when you're officiating, you work with, it's almost like being on a movie set. You're working with five other people. They have to do a phenomenal job. And sometimes they're gonna make you better than what you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you are the best thing out there and you're pulling everybody together. And sometimes you know the rules better than a lot of other people do. Um, I always was never the rule expert. I know the rules, but there's some people who far know the rules better than I did. I was able to communicate better to coaches, to other players, and let the game be far more smoother than it needed to be, than the rigorous um, game. But yeah, it it helped me. Um, definitely, I'm better for it. I had a wonderful teacher. Um, my first year, I did a horrible game. I made bad mistakes, bad calls that people were just screaming to yell at me. And my, uh, my coach, Jack, he came up to me and goes, stop taking it personal. Stop it. Yeah, you screwed up, so what? We're going to the next game. And I never heard that before. I never, it's not you, it's the uniform. Take it off and they won't care. Now you're somebody. Yeah. It's just the uniform, that's it. And I think that with the actors, right, they just the, wear the clothes, you're somebody else and come out, yeah. Yep. Um, well, it's like with doctors too. It's, they yeah. say it's practice, that's why they call it practicing medicine because you're making decisions and you're trying to figure it out. You know, you yeah. may not, two people may not call it the same way, I guess, but you know, if you're Draw a comparison, but yeah, it definitely eroded a lot of anxiety for me. When is it? Especially when you're a young kid. I, I started fishing when I was twenty, and of course you you wanted to be good, and you know you wanted you, you wanted to shine and everything. And I realized that nobody's out there to look at the referees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just want you to do your job. Nobody's going. Nobody's going to games to watch the referees make a great call. Nobody cares. Just mm -hmm. make the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a. I do have. Fun style, fun stuff, fun stories to talk about, but it definitely helped me be more, far more disciplined than I am now. I, will, I don't think I could finish the writing of that script if it didn't do referee nice. and, and get that discipline in me. Yeah. Nice. So the Greenway book, book two is out. It's published and available. Yeah, one and two. Yeah. One and two are both out. Yeah. Um, Recent, been to any recent trade shows, conventions, and get up, gotten to get out and talk to any of the readers, fans, and get some feedback and meet some people. This is actually perfect because we just did Falcon in St. Paul, and I I don't know if just sometimes with people in the acting, sometimes timing is right. So I think it's, this is timing is perfect because of Falcon we met a bunch of new people that came to my table and met the new people that are going to be introduced to this show. who are probably going to listen to this episode and find out more about me. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, that's so it's almost right. yeah. So we yeah we did to Falcon um, over the state fairgrounds every year. Uh, uh, in uh, St. Paul and it was just fun it's just a nice time I, every time I go to convention I always remind me of Isaac Asimov who said um, if anybody doesn't know you know Isaac Asimov the writer but he always said the reason why we do conventions is just to prove we're not crazy <laughs> 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 that there are people who think and act the way you do. Yeah, you're not the only, yeah, there's, this, there's other people just like you. That's why you go to conventions. <laughs> and so it's nice to pe see people, complete strangers, that you can have a dialogue with of just the certain of comic books, of just nerdy stuff, geeky stuff, 
that she probably never met ever before, but you, they def, you definitely can speak the language. You've got an immediate common common ground that you can share about. And yeah, yeah. feel like you've known them for a long time. There's no reason a 13-year-old girl should care what I do, but when you do comic books, it's almost like we know each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, yeah, I know, yeah, I know that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so when can we expect uh, Greenway... Greenway book three we're anticipating uh, a deadline of the end of the year I definitely wanted the end of the year there's some projects up coming up that I can't really talk about but we want to get it for those other projects we want to get the Greenway done um, by the end of December so all three of them should be available hopefully for Christmas time yeah (laughs) yeah so and then it would be nice because this is a project that I've been working with like I said since 2008 to just have it out there and not have it yep. in the corner of my brain the whole time mm-hmm. and sometimes I think as creative people we get wrapped up too much in process yeah rather oh, yeah. than just getting it done yeah and then I've definitely am guilty of that of loving the process and maybe expanding more than rather just get it done stop talking about it and get it done so it yeah we're definitely looking for 2009 at the end of this year okay if it gets a delay it's simply because of publication or something like that of mm-hmm. chip delivery but um if you follow me on twitter and all that stuff you i'll definitely provide the updates yeah, yeah. so the uh the handles for uh twitter uh for this podcast it's uh at saint paul filmcast yes Correct. And yes. then yeah. you can also follow Nick on Twitter at, at Nicholas Pallad. Pallad, Pallad, too, right. Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, at N Pallaticek. Yes. Uh, those are two other on places the Instagram. on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And then as far as uh, obtaining a copy of either of the Greenway books, you can obtain it through Indie Planet and go on into indieplanet.us. Mm-hmm. where it's available in paperback uh, or digital download. Yeah, nowadays we have to think of that as an option that digital download. Just kind of the nature of the beast. How do right. you, is that something that, how does that feel as the the writer when it's no longer a piece of paper, when it's electronic? How is, it, is that a different kind of a... I think everybody's kind of adapting to have to, this is the way it's going to be eventually, that it's all just 100% digital. Um, it's the nature of the beast. That's why I'm still collecting, because I don't know how long they're going to keep printing on paper to eventually what about eight years from now it's all going to just be on an app so that's why i continue to collect because i wanted to keep doing that right mm-hmm. but that's the nature of the beast is you have to provide that option um also another avenue is um we'll definitely put up my email so if you want a hard copy and you don't want to go through the website the website is this own avenue it's own strength i don't have anything affiliation with it um, if you want to just go direct to me, just email me, and uh, we'll see if we could ship one out to you. Like we, um, we did some other customers that just email, I want a copy. I'm out here in Sweden, and can you send me? And yeah, sure, yeah. So um, definitely use the email or contact me through the Indie Planet too if you want to own copies, yeah. Or and, just meet me at the fall concert. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then you yeah. also have a Facebook page for the podcast, right? Yeah, Sample Filmcast. I was, initially when we started, I was reluctant to a Facebook page. I just... But it's something that I think everybody just you can't shut a door. You have to, yeah. especially if you're a podcast, you have to leave that open. So, yes, we're on Facebook too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I really, this is something you know. I thought about after you interviewed me uh, about a month or so ago. You know, yeah. Nick's got a really interesting story to tell, and like I mentioned at the opening, um, you uh, 
you're a creative person yourself as well. And I wanted to share part of that story with the audience because I think, um, you know, it's it's important that people understand where your passion comes from and why you do what you do. And I'm glad we got a chance to learn just at least a little bit about yeah about all that and you know yeah. Um, so I want to thank you for being a guest on your own podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> but love uh, it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely been a lot of fun. Uh, please uh, check everything out on Twitter, Facebook, uh, IndiePlanet.us. And uh, Nick, appreciate your time. Uh, oh, thank you, man. Thanks. Enjoyed visiting with you. And uh, this is uh, St. Paul Filmcast saying goodbye. Thank you.
Save you from what you know